0: Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: There's another way, another path that leads to joy Genuine joy, because joy comes from within. We're not talking about frivolity. You know, let's party. That's just mindlessness. The American concept of joy is let's get blasted and let's become mindless and let's go at night to Las Vegas. And that's that's not joy. Joy is something that comes from within. When there's a genuine sense of inner joy, a sense of contentment, a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, a sense of a real genuine appetite for life a real appreciation for life a real appreciation for, for your situation that, that's something inner that's not something that's forced all the money in the world can't buy that joy that's why we're the most materialistically successful generation in history and yet we're the most depressed more people see psychologists today than any other time in history and pills what? and pills and pills even children today are given pills. Joy is something that comes from within. All the money in the world can't buy joy. It's like the famous story with the king who was very depressed. and were The best doctors, they called him the best doctors in the world to try to cure him and nothing helped. They gave him Ritalin, they gave him everything, nothing helped. <laughs> Finally, they said, there's only one thing that can help you. to wear the shirt of a happy person of a genuinely happy person, you'll be cured. So he sends, his, he sends his advisors all over the country to find that one person. They're looking high and low. In vain, they can't find a single person that's genuinely happy. This one is sad about this, and this one is depressed about that, and this one is kvetching about this. And everyone has, everyone has issues. Finally, finally, the distant corner of the kingdom, they find one person genuinely happy he's go happy go lucky. he's lucky he's smiling he's just nice he's loving kind good he's a wholesome person so they turn to him he says you must help us you don't understand the king is dying he's so depressed the only thing that can save him is if he wears a shirt or a happy person please give us your shirt he smiles and says, I would gladly give it to you the problem is I don't own a shirt <laughs> and he was the happiest person in the kingdom Nothing external can make you happy. A person thinks, oh, I'll have a million dollars, I'll be happy. Studies were done. People suddenly win a lottery ticket, which happened to all of us. A few, <laughs> a few months later, they revert back to themselves. They were grouchy and miserable before. As soon as the novelty wears off, they become just as grouchy and miserable, and many times actually it destroys them. There's this extra bonanza they can't handle this sudden gift and blessing that you can't handle becomes actually a curse. So don't always envy the wealthy person who's the wealthiest person in the world. And you think to yourself, you know, it's not fear. Why do wicked people succeed in life? Look, this wicked person is an immoral person. Look how successful he is. Don't judge a book by the cover. You know what's going on inside. Maybe his wife doesn't speak to him. His children don't speak to him. I mean, his life is miserable. The guy is dying inside. Who knows? Don't judge a book by its cover. Just because a person has the flash and the glamour and the money and the power and the fame it doesn't mean anything look at look at the celebrities look at what dysfunctional lives most of them have you know three four five marriages until you lose count I mean just just can't get their act together so don't never judge a book by its cover that's not happiness I'll have this if I'll possess this if I'll own this I'll be happy that's that leads you to further depression. That's not happiness. Happiness, we're talking about an inner joy. A genuine joy. The person is at peace with himself. A person doesn't need constant distractions to run away from himself 24-7. Constant distractions. Constant entertainment. Constant vacation from reality. No, a person who's living, who's genuinely living, who's connected, who's in touch, who's for real. Who's really living, and living it up. And using every faculty that God gave him and using realizing his full potential and growing and talking about the inner joy, the real joy. So what's the path to real joy? So Rebbe now is going to give us another path to real joy, true joy. And he says, especially there are times when a person feels you need a, your soul needs a little polishing, your soul needs a little gladness of heart. Maybe you're feeling a little down or you're exhausted. It happens to the best of us. You know, we're not machines. And even machines sometimes run down, you know. We're not machines. You know, there comes a time when you, you're exhausted. And, um, you know, it's part of life also. You have highs and you have lows. Everyone has ups and downs. You know, there's no one who doesn't have a down. There's no one who's always on an up. Everyone has their ups and downs. And, and the down also serves a purpose just like for the same reason God cre- created us so we have to sleep every day why do we have to sleep every day every day we have to it's such a waste of time such a waste of potential of energy every single day you have to sleep but it's really the greatest gift because then you wake up in the morning and it's a brand new day it's fresh it's brand new imagine you can experience every day you can experience a new day that's such a gift that God gave us that every single day you can experience life with a freshness, a renewed vigor. You're rejuvenated, pun intended, and you can start on freshness. They start all over again. The novelty, the idea of Imagine if life was just one long continuation, one long day that lasted 120 years. You wouldn't have that freshness. Every day it's a brand new day. You wipe your slate clean, and now you start a new day, reinvigorate because you grow tired and you grow exhausted. And you slack off, but then you rediscover with a, with a freshness. You rediscover it with a vengeance. It has a, a, an intensity to it, it has a, a pleasure, renewed pleasure to it. It's like he's starting all over again much deeper, much higher. So it's part of life. But there, when the person feels that you're down, the person feels that you're exhausted. How do you rekindle? How do you rediscover that freshness, that that joy of life, that pleasure? What's the key? What's the key? And that's the Alter Rebbe. He's now going to explain in this chapter, he's going to give us a very powerful path for a person to arouse the joy, their inner joy.
0: In Chapter 31, the Alta Rebbe discussed various means of arousing joy to counteract the sadness brought on by contemplation of one's spiritual failings. Chapter 33 resumes this discussion. Yet another means of leading one's soul to true joy, especially at those specific times when one finds it necessary to purify his soul and illuminate it with a gladness of heart. Let him then think deeply and picture, in his intellect and understanding, the subject of God's true unity. True unity means not only that there is but one God, one Creator, but that furthermore, God is the only existing being. Nothing truly exists outside of him, as will be explained further. He says you have to
1: picture. It's not enough to know, to understand. It's the picture, to really form a picture in your mind, the idea of the unity of God. Not not that God exists. God exists means nothing. So what? I exist and God exists. God exists in heaven or God exists. What does that have to do with me? How does God's existence challenge me? When you say God is one, it's not that God exists. But there is nothing else but God. That means God's existence affects me. Because if God exists, then there's no ego, there's no I. All there is is God. Now that's that's hitting home. That affects me personally. I mean, God exists. So, therefore, God has to change my whole perspective of reality, of my view of reality. Because we're looking at reality, we are seeing reality, our whole perspective of reality has to dramatically change. Because although it's counterintuitive, but the way we are looking at reality is completely wrong. We have to totally shift our whole point of view, our whole perspective. If you know in art, you know, you have these pictures where... You can look at it one way And then you see it a different way It's like uh, It can look like a vase A famous picture looks like a vase And then it looks like The, uh, the profile of two faces Depends how you look at it You know it's, it's training yourself To look at reality Completely differently For example Most of us And that's why most of us Are wearing glasses Because we are, we are Seeing entirely wrong That's not the natural way to see The way we're all seeing Is not the natural way to see Children see naturally That's why children When we were children We didn't need glasses because we have totally distorted the natural way of seeing, and there are thousands of people who have restored their vision and eyesight and able to see 2020 and not even better, because they've retrained themselves to see reality the way we also as children, without no laser surgery and no exercises, just, just to see natural, which is, when you look at a page, for example, our, percep- our perception is. That what are the letters? The letters are the. is the ink, right? You look at the page, it's the ink. It's the ink on a white background. The page is white, and to make a letter, you write with ink, and that creates the letter. But there's another perspective. Imagine if the whole page was black. And instead of writing the letter, you actually painted the white spaces all around it. Inside and around. Which is what you do when when you chisel, when you when you sculpture, you remove. It's what you remove that creates the shape. So in this case it would be by removing the black, by painting the white space the white, that would create the letter. So instead of seeing the black, you actually you look at the white, you look at the space. It's a whole different way of looking at it. It's like that famous vase. If you look at it conventionally you see a vase. But when you look at it the other way around, suddenly you see a profile. It's a whole different picture. So, you know, when you get it, like one split second, you suddenly you see a whole different picture. The same reality. A whole different picture. I see something else entirely. It just depends on your perspective. So when you really picture the unity of God, it has to dramatically change your whole perspective of reality. Instead of us looking, we are like stray-jacketed. We, like we see it from a very conventional point of view. We see nature. We see the world. And God, what God? When God? God is like, God is in heaven. God is a reality that's out there, up there. But when you really picture very deeply and you really contemplate the idea of the unity of God, it flips your whole perspective of reality. God is reality. There is no other reality. All of reality is merely a shadow of God. A reflection of God. The tiniest reflection of the tiniest glimmer and ray of God. That's all reality is. It's, it's, it's like in the video, when you watch a video, a screen, right? You're seeing shadows, it's the light playing playing on the picture, and therefore the shadows appear, the picture. But it's just a shadow of the light. That's not reality, all it is is just a play. Everything in this world is merely like a, a reflection of Hashem. That's all it is. There is nothing else. So when that flips in your mind, when you realize it's counterintuitive, but when you, when something flips in your mind, you really get it, and you really can picture it, and you realize that Hashem is within us. Hashem is everything; is Hashem. There's nothing but Hashem. It's a whole different perspective of reality. Instead of us being, this is natural, this is reality, this is solid, and Hashem, what is God? God is abstraction. God is some crystal energy. God is some otherworldly energy. It flips in your mind, and you realize Hashem is the very fabric of everything. Everything is Hashem. There's nothing but Hashem. We are just the shadow of Hashem, a reflection of Hashem, the ray of a glimmer of of Hashem's infinite light. That's all we are. There's nothing else. Suddenly Hashem becomes a reality. Hashem becomes your reality. Hashem is your substance. Hashem is the substance of everything that exists around you. Suddenly it's a whole different world. You see the world differently. You see yourself differently. You see the divine everywhere. You find the divine in everything. You see the divine in the cup of water that you drink. That's why a Jew makes a blessing when you drink a cup of water. On a Wednesday afternoon, I'm taking a cup of water. I'm thirsty. It's not the most natural thing in the world. The Jew says, no. This cup of water, I see the divine in. There's a divine spark. It's that divine spark that's giving me energy. I see the soul. I see the divine spark in everything. My table is an altar. Everything I do, I see the divine. God is with me. I open my eyes. I see divine providence every step of the way. Because everything in the world is nothing other than, than the, the divine." So suddenly it changes your whole perspective. And this is, the, this is really the whole theme of prayer, why it's so important for us to pray and first thing in the morning and why we spend so much time praying. Praying is not just begging and praying for our needs. Prayer is a time to really shift your perspective, to really meditate on the idea of the God is one. Not only that there's only one God, Or that God is an absolute unity. But that God is one, that God is an absolute reality. There is no other reality but God. God is reality. It's about shifting your whole point of view, shifting your whole perspective, 180 degrees. And seeing yourself and seeing the world around you from a whole different point of view. Seeing the divine in everything. And that takes deep meditation. That's not just a, a casual thought, oh, God is one, next. That takes real deep thought. Deep contemplation to be able to picture it, because it's really counterintuitive. It's really changing your whole point of view, 180 degrees. But once you get it, you see it. It's all—it's all, all around you. It's within you. It's all around. You. Of course, you can go through your entire life. That people go through the entire life and work, operate in in the natural world, and don't even have a clue about God and godliness. Don't even think about God or godliness the entire life. But it doesn't change the reality. The reality is God is everything. There's nothing else but God. And if you open your eyes and you open your mind and you realize this and you really get it, suddenly you see it. It's a different world. It's a whole different world. You see a different picture. You're looking at the same thing. This one sees a vase and you see the, you see the profile. You don't see the vase. You see something else entirely, Because your whole perspective changes. God is interwoven into, into the very fabric of our being and everything. God is We're just a reflection. We're just a a shadow reflection of God's infinite self. Beautiful story. There's a a Lubavitch Hasid. He was very wealthy. He was traveling for business. And um, he was also a great Hasidic uh, Jew, a great Hasidic Thinker, and he would spend many hours praying and meditating on these concepts where the reality of God really challenged him personally and really concentrated and focused on the idea that God is one and once in his travels he came to the inn and he he was very tired he was exhausted he was so exhausted they asked him if he wants to eat he said I'm too tired I'm just going to bed so before he went to bed you know, we say the Shema before, and we read a whole section. So he went to the sink to wash his hands before he was going to read the Shema, and he, he, he grabbed onto the towel to wipe his hands. This was at night. He came the next morning, they found him in that position, holding the towel. He says when he started saying the Shema, he said Hashem Achad, he started meditating on the meaning of Hashem Achad. <laughs> And he got so lost in thought that exhausted as he was, he forgot all about his exhaustion, forgot all about himself, and he spent all night thinking about the concept of Hashem Echa, that God is one. Because it's not just thinking God is one, it's really picturing it, it's really understanding it, and how it totally revolutionizes how you see everything, and how you see yourself, and how you see the world around you. It changes everything, and it's very challenging, it's personally challenging, and it's, very, it's personally stimulating. Actually, very exciting, as he's going to say here. That's what brings you real joy when you realize the truth, the reality. When you realize that this world is is just a facade; it's not what it appears to be, and the reality is something else entirely, and it's the exact opposite of what it appears to be. And you suddenly see the truth, and you see the reality of Hashem within you and all around you, and you see the divine and everything. It's it's very exciting. It's very rewarding, it's enriching, and it changes your whole life. For the better. So that's what I mean, that God is a personal challenge. When you say God is one, it has to challenge you. That's why a Jew says Shema soul twice, once in the morning and once at night. God's reality has to challenge you, has to change you, has to transform you, has to move you, inspire you. If it doesn't move inspire you, it doesn't change you, then, then it's just an irrelevant abstraction. God is one. I believe in God. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing as the great Hasidic master of Levi Yitzhak Bar-Ditchav, who did not grow up a Hasid. Don't forget that whole generation, the early generation of Hasidim, they didn't grow up Hasidim. So he ran off, and he ran to Rabbi Dov Ber, the Maggid of Mizritch, the second leader of the Hasidic movement. And uh, the heir of the Bosham when he came home, his father said, tell me, why did you run away? What did you learn in Mizritch that I didn't teach you? He says, I learned in Mizritch, I learned that there's a God in this world. He says, really? For that, you ran off to Mizritch? He calls in the maid. Sarka, Sarah, tell me, is there a God in this world? She says, of course. So the father says, you see, even the maid knows that there's a God in this world. For that, you have to run off. So Yitzhak smiles and says, she says it, but I know it. It's a different thing. Saying it and knowing it is different. Saying it and saying it. Of course, every Jew believes that God is one. Well, but it means nothing. It's completely irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant to your life. Doesn't change you, doesn't affect you, doesn't move you, doesn't inspire you. But knowing it is when it becomes, when it enriches you, when it transforms you, and it moves you, and it changes you. When your whole perspective changes. Your whole perspective of reality, your whole perspective of yourself, of the world changes as a result of this. That's what he says. You have to deepen, you have to think very deeply, and you have to picture. It has to become a picture in your mind, a vivid picture that moves you and stimulates you. The idea that there's no other reality but God, the absolute reality of God, and that we are all unified within the absolute unity of God. That's the ultimate Jewish faith, Hashem Echol, that we are all unified within the absolute unity of God. Okay, continue.
0: Let him consider how he permeates all worlds, both upper and lower. Just as the soul pervades the body, thereby animating it, so does God permeate all the worlds. This indwelling refers to the divine life force, which adapts itself to each individual creation's capacity to receive it. And for this reason, the Alter Rebbe distinguishes here between the upper worlds and lower worlds. In the upper, more spiritual worlds, the revelation of this life force is greater, since their capacity is greater.
1: Just like the body and the soul. The Talmud said, just like the soul fills the body, animates the body, so too, God animates the world. So just like the body and the soul, every organ in the body has its own unique soul energy. The brain has unique soul energy to comprehend. The heart has unique soul energy to feel emotions. Every organ has its unique soul energy that's perfectly matched to that soul energy, the eye, the ability to see, which is perfectly matched. The eye, the complexity of the eye perfectly matches the soul's ability to see. So, in that sense, God is creating and sustaining and animating every individual creature. There's so many, so many numerous creatures, and every creature has its own unique characteristic, its own unique energy, its own unique ability. Just like we find. You have inanimate objects, you have trees, organic life, that shows a higher form of life, but it stands still, but it grows. Then you have a higher form of life, the animal life, then you have the human life. So you see there are many variations of life. and Then you have spiritual life, the life of the angels and the soul, spiritual beings. So you have many, many different levels of life. And each world and each, each level of life has a unique energy that's customized for that, for, that, for that individual being. So this is the way God's words and letters defines and shapes the unique energy that each individual creature has. And each specific created being has its own unique energy, its own unique channel of energy. The divine energy is channeled through the words and letters in a very unique form. God creates the world through the ten Svirot. So there, there is there is the attribute of love, of kindness, which is the source of of light, of water. And the attribute of strength, which is the source of fire, different attributes. So each attribute creates something very specific, something that differentiates one from the other. They're opposites, kindness, strength. So this is the way Hashem contracts himself, concentrates himself in a very specific way to give a specific energy to each individual being. So that's the analogy. Just like the soul animates the body and each organ in the body has its own unique energy, so too God fills all the worlds. And God himself concentrates himself, his energy, and channels it in a very specific way. By mixing the different letters, each, each object has its own unique name which is each letter in the Hebrew alphabet is like uh, it's like mixing different chemicals, different mixings, you, get, you end up with a different result. So by the different mixtures of the letters, and which channels the shape of the energy, Hashem creates all the differentiated beings that exist. And that's why there's a difference between the higher worlds and the lower worlds, just like within the person. You can't compare the energy that's in the brain, the energy that's in the heart, the energy that's in the gut, the energy that's in the legs, the arms, everyone has a unique energy. You dance with your legs. You walk with your legs. But you feel with your heart. You, th- you, know, you understand, you comprehend with your brain. Every, every <coughs> organ has. And the higher the organ, you have a higher, higher form of energy. A higher manifestation of the soul. So that's the idea that God fills all the worlds. He permeates all the worlds. He is the life of all the worlds. Because it's his concentrated energy that's actually creating, making, creating all these differentiations is because God is creating the world through His words and letters which channel the energy in a unique way that creates the very personality and characteristic traits of every individual created being. So it's really God Himself is filling all the worlds. It's God Himself. But it's the way God Himself is filling all the worlds and creating all the worlds in a very limited way, in a very specific way. That's one level. That's the lowest level because on this level, just like with the human body, the soul animating the body, You can't say that the, in relation to the soul, the body doesn't exist. In relation to the soul, the body exists. The body is a vessel to receive, to receive the soul. So yes, the body is nothing without the soul. Without the soul, the body is a corpse. And ultimately, very quickly disintegrates. So, of course, the body is completely nullified to the soul. The body doesn't lift a pinky without the soul. Without the soul, the body is just a corpse. Any movement in the body is really the soul moving. The body becomes just an expression of the soul. It becomes united with the soul. It's completely nullified before the soul. Nothing happens without the soul. But nevertheless, you can't say that the body is nothing. The body is something. It's a vehicle. It's a vessel. It has meaning. The body has meaning. The fact that it can receive the soul, and it can absorb the soul, and it can receive the energy of the soul, and it comes alive as a result, you can't say the body is nothing. The body has some meaning in relationship to the soul and the fact that the soul is specifically animating this organ of the body means that that even from the soul's point of view the body has a tremendous meaning the fact that the body is able to receive and absorb the energy of the soul so yes God fills all the worlds and nothing happens in this world without God no one lifts a pinky as the Talmud says in this world without unless it was decreed in heaven nothing happens in this world without God this myth of a self-made man is nothing other than a myth there's nothing in this world that's self-made. Everything that happens in this world, a person doesn't lift a pinky unless it was decreed by heaven because it's really the soul that's, that's animating everything. Without the soul, the body is nothing. So the truth is the body is completely nullified before the soul. The only area in our life which we are self-made, the only area in our life which we genuinely have freedom of choice is in, when it comes to moral things, moral issues to do the right thing and not to do the right thing. That's the only area in our life which we have freedom of choice. Every other area in our life it's delusional. Those who think that they're self-made men, it's completely delusional. There's nothing self-made about us. Everything we do, we don't even lift a pinky unless Hashem decrees. A person doesn't own a penny more than was decreed in heaven. All the effort in the world will not, cannot force, cannot Bring the person to earn one cent more than it was decreed in heaven. Many people who lie, cheat, and steal and get some note. And those who lie, cheat, and steal and they do get ahead, if they wouldn't have lied, cheated, and steal, they would have gotten ahead. But in the kosher way, in the healthy way, and they would have used their money in a very wholesome way. And the money would have enhanced their lives. But the person doesn't earn a penny more than is decreed in heaven because God fills all the world. God is like a body, a soul to the body. Without the soul, nothing happens. The body is a corpse. God is not only, did God, does God create the world, but God runs this world. It's God's world. He's completely in charge of this world. Nothing in this world happens without God. You don't even lift a pinky without God. And it's just habri and complete the delusion that a person thinks that mechanically is in charge and he's controlling and he's a mover and he's a shaker and he's forcing things. You can't force anything. If it's not bashert, if it's not meant to be, it just won't happen.
0: What if you're doing something immoral? God is not forcing that to happen.
1: He's giving you the choice. He's giving you the choice and he's allowing that. Obviously he's allowing, because he's giving you the freedom of choice. So he's allowing you, he's allowing it to happen. He's giving you the freedom of choice. He's allowing you to yes ultimately yes he's giving, he's giving us that choice he's giving us that ability and that's why the it's not enough the, the goal is not to punish the sinner the goal is the word in, in the Torah to punish is lihipara. lehipara also means to pay back because since there was a divine energy in order to sin you had to have a divine energy because without a divine energy you can't do anything So when a person sins, you're really abusing that divine energy. So now you have to pay it back. So all the fun that you had, now you have to pay it back. You have to transform that fun into godly things. You should have that same level of fun, that same intensity with which you sin. You have to take that energy, that powerful energy, that bacchanalian energy with which you sin, now you have to take it back and reconnect it back to its source. Take that energy and you should you should use that passion and that intensity, you should um, do the right thing with the same passion, and the same intensity with which you sin, with the same fun and pleasure with which you sin, you should take all that energy and pay back and bring it back, bring it back to God. So that's the analogy of a malikalam God fills all the worlds and God is in charge of the world and God runs the world. And every detail every aspect of this world comes directly from God and the, the It's only God himself concentrating himself in a very specific way and channeling his own energy in a specific way that actually creates your individuality and your personality and your character and your unique individualistic uh, traits, your characteristic traits. So the truth is God fills all the world. Everything is God. Even our uniqueness, our individuality is also God. Everything we have is God. Even our limitation is also God. Our uniqueness is also God. But then there's a higher level.
0: Let him further consider how even this world is filled with his glory. This refers to the divine life force which encompasses all worlds and which animates them as if from above, without adapting itself to the particular nature of each created being, so that even this physical world is filled with his glory.
1: Just like the analogy of the human body, there's a higher form of life, which is undifferentiated which is not specific it's all encompassing is holistic for example life itself every cell in your body is alive there is no difference between the leg your brain that life is all encompassing it's not limited the limitation and the differentiation between one level and the next in the brain and the heart and the liver and, and the legs are all on the conscious level. But when you get to the subconscious level when you get to the soul level the soul is all-encompassing life and it's something that totally eludes our consciousness because our whole consciousness is, is such a tiny fragment of who we are. 99% of the human body which is a miracle which is a, every moment is a miracle you have thousands if not millions of things simultaneously happening in your body your body is like a, a it's like a, thousands of factories producing the most exquisite drugs perfectly, perfectly timed ev- in, in, in one split second one split second there are simultaneously happening in our body there are millions of things happening in our body which would def- it's totally defies the human imagination you can't even begin to fathom how all of this complexity happens in one split second. we have no clue what happens we breathe the body operates itself we digest our food it's a miracle and we have no clue we're not even conscious of it you can go through your entire life it just happens automatically unself conscious. So there's a higher level of life, there's a higher level of functioning which totally transcends our rational ego mind, which totally transcends our conscious mind. And at that level, it's millions and trillions of things happening simultaneously and it's, it, it's all-encompassing. And that level, there's no differentiation, higher and lower. The whole organism is alive, the whole body is alive, every cell in your, in your being is alive. It's an all-encompassing life. Take, for example, the higher forms of life within us. The willpower, pleasure. Which is really the principle behind everything. What is the motivating factor behind everything? It's the willpower. What's behind willpower? Pleasure. What's the payoff for everything that we do? A person who breaks his head because he wants to understand something. He loves to figure things out. The person who loves to create. What's the payoff for all that effort? The Pleasure. When you figure something out, you get a brilliant new insight, it's the most ecstatic experience in the world, it's the most pleasurable experience in the world. A person who loves to do kindness, because when you do kindness, it gives you pleasure. Whatever you do, ultimately, what's the motivating factor? The motivating principle is pleasure. Where is pleasure? There's no single organ that's designated for pleasure. The brain, intellect, comprehension, is designated the brain. You don't, you don't comprehend with your ears, you don't comprehend with your eyes, you don't comprehend with your nose. You can't, comprehend with your brain. You feel with your heart. Your emotions are in your heart. Every organ, every faculty of the soul has a designated organ. Pleasure doesn't have a designated organ. Will doesn't have a designated organ. It's all-encompassing. It's, it's all-encompassing all force that drives everything, that motivates everything. The will to live. Or the general life. The fact that you're alive. Every cell in your body is alive. It's equal. Every part of your body, your toenail to you, every part of your body has that life. There is no difference. There's no differentiation because it's really about the soul. And at that level, the whole consciousness, the whole categories and differentiations that we experience in the conscious level really melt away. It really becomes insignificant because it's not about, it's not about, it's really just an expression of the soul which is really transcends the consciousness and transcends uh, limitation and transcends our whole frame of reference. So that's the idea that God encompasses all the worlds. There is a level of energy which God fills all the worlds, where God concentrates and channels his energy in a very specific way that creates all differentiations and this separates the higher from the lower, the upper from the lower. But then there is a level where God reveals himself More like his infinite self, which is all encompassing. It's an all encompassing energy that incorporates everything equally the higher and the lower. It's all all one. It's all one and the same. It's all part of the same reality. The whole is greater than the sum total of its part. It's a much more holistic um, expression of God's self, of God's energy. And that energy encompasses all the worlds equally the higher and the lower. There's no difference. And in the human analogy, The brain and the heart and the gut and the legs are all part of something larger than all of them put together. It's not about the brain. It's not about the heart. They're all part of one single dynamic entity. One single dynamic organism. It's one holistic organism. (coughs) That's why the same blood courses throughout the whole body if you Toenail hurts, your brain can't think. It's all connected because it's really one. It's not, it's not the brain, 248 limbs. A person is not a bag. You're not a bag filled with limbs and bodies. It's not how you sense yourself. You're one whole dynamic entity. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. And the parts are just a reflection of that single reality. The brain, the, the, the every organ is just a reflection of that single undivisible self. That's the all-encompassing energy. That's the holistic energy. That's the holistic expression of God's... Of god 's infinite energy, which encompasses everything together, so that 's a higher revelation manifestation of god's energy which eludes us we don 't sense it because we are limited in the frame of refer- our frame of reference our consciousness which is so tiny and so minute it blocks out anything above it we don 't even know about our, our subconscious we don't even sense our subconscious there's a whole reality the total is totally beyond our conception but that is That is our main reality. That is the source of all reality. That is the source of life. But we don't sense it. It eludes us. We don't see it. We don't feel it. Not because it's not there. It's so there. It's our core. It's our essence. It's everything. But we don't see it. We don't sense it. It Totally eludes us. It's right in front of our nose. We don't see it. We can't see it. So this is a higher form of life, a higher manifestation. So when you realize that God's glory, that God's like infinite self um, emanates, encompasses all of the world, his energy encompasses all of the worlds equally, both the higher and the lower are both equal and both the same, the world becomes even more insignificant in relationship to God. Even on the first level, where the world is like a body to the soul, the body is completely nullified to the soul. It's about the soul, it's not about the body. So the world is not that significant but yet on that level the world has a significance the fact that it's a vessel for the soul the fact that it's it can reabsorb the soul it can receive the soul and the fact that the soul uh, that, that divine energy is specific and concentrated and focused on animating this specific uh, created being so therefore it has some meaning the body has some meaning in relation to the soul the created being has some meaning in relation to the divine energy that's concentrated to create that individual being because the fact that it's able to receive that energy and it's able to respond to that energy. So it has some significance. But in relationship to the all-encompassing energy, it has no significance. To look at the world as, a, as, as, a, as an independent entity, to look at the world as anything, it has no significance. The only significance is the whole. You don't even, see, you don't even notice the parts. The whole is greater than some total of its parts. The parts lose any meaning. The parts lose any significance. It's like a drop in the ocean. The drop in the ocean only becomes significant if you remove it from the ocean. You remove it from the ocean, you take it to the laboratory, yeah, it becomes significant. There's the top of the drop and there's the bottom of the drop. How thick is the drop and the properties of the drop and what is the drop, and what's not the drop. But when the drop of the ocean is in its natural state, when it's part of the ocean, you don't even see a drop. What drop? When drop? It's an ocean. What drop I don't see a drop, I see an ocean. There is no drop. It loses any meaning, it loses any significance. So when you look at the bigger picture, when you look at the all encompassing life, all encompassing life force, the whole universe that we know it, the physical and spiritual universe, heaven and earth with angels and spiritual beings, higher levels of consciousness and music and art and the sublime, the whole world, the whole tumult, the whole bureaucracy of creation completely loses its significance. You don't even notice it. What world? What world? What are you talking about? It's a drop, but it's part of it's encompassed. It's all included. It's all encompassed and all encompassing life of God, energy of God. I don't, I, there is no drop. It's nothing. It completely loses any significance. But then we go even deeper than that.
0: And how everything is of no reality whatever in His presence. He is one alone in the upper and lower realms just as he was alone prior to the six days of creation, when nothing existed apart from God. So too now, when all the worlds have come into being, he is still one, alone, since all of creation is not before him, as will be explained further. Even in the very place where this world, the heaven, the earth, and all their host, was created, he alone then filled this space.
1: So, even in the previous level, where the world seems to have lost any significance, it's like a drop that you can't even find and it loses any meaning and any significance. But even there, the fact that you say that God encompasses all of reality, yes, the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts, and the parts are part of the whole, and just a reflection of the whole, but nevertheless, you can't say the world has no significance because the world is part of the whole, is a reflection of the whole. So it has has some significance. It's all-encompassing, but it's an all-encompassing reality. So the fact that you're defining God, that God transcends the world, by saying that God transcends the world, that God is all-encompassing, that God is holistic and God is has this... Uh, um, the whole is greater than some total of its parts, he's still being defined by the world. It still has a definition. So by saying that God is greater, that God is infinite, and God is not finite, and God is greater than, and and transcends our whole frame of reference, and that there are so many levels beyond our conscious level, and that there's a level where where everything is just part of one whole and everything is just a reflection of that one whole, you're still defined, you're still defined by that reality. You're still being measured and defining yourself by that reality. You know, to use an analogy, what's the difference between the alcoholic and the recovering alcoholic? It seems to be they're 180 degrees apart. This one can't stop drinking and this one won't, won't even drink a drop. But the truth is that they're really one and the same. They're really two sides of the same coin. Because both of them, both of their lives are defined by alcohol. One by embracing it and one by rejecting it. But they can't escape alcohol. One is running to AA meetings all their life because they have to constantly reject the alcohol and one has has completely surrendered to the alcohol. But they're both defined by it. They can't really escape. They're both defined. So externally they look diametrically opposed but the truth is at the core level they're really two sides of the same coin. So too, finite and infinite appear to be exact opposites. but the truth is it's really two sides of the same coin. At the core and at the essence, they both share the same... Because by saying that, you, that God transcends reality and that God transcends our frame of reference and our consciousness and our differentiated world, that alone is a definition. It means that God is still defined by the world. That energy is still defined by the world. The fact that it transcends the world means it's still defined by it. But it's completely uh, transcends it. So the world has some significance. When you say "eternal," that means that time still has some significance. It's eternal. Any definition any definition, definition is limited. If you already speak, you already, if you're ready speak about God, the moment you open your mouth, it's already not God. Because whatever you're going to say, you're going to try to define God to describe God, or to say that you can't describe God. Either way, you're lost. Either way, you're already distorted. Either one is not God. To say you can describe God is not God, to say that you can't describe God is also not God. But to say that God, is fine, God has concentrated Himself and, and um, channel His energy in a very limited way, that's, that's not the essence of God. And to say that God transcends that whole frame of reference and God is infinite and all-encompassing and all His greatness on all of His parts, that's also not God. So here you're, you're reaching the essence of God. So when you come to the essence of God, the essence of God, the world is truly, has no significance. When you come to the essence of God, God's truly infinite self, truly undefined self. There, the world is not even like a body to God's soul. The world simply doesn't exist. You can't say that to the soul, the body doesn't exist. The soul is nullified to the, the body is completely nullified to the soul. You can't say it doesn't exist. But the God the world is not even like a body to the soul. All there is is God. Nothing changed. That's the ultimate, absolute unity of God. God was alone before he created the world. Even after he creates the world, nothing changed. All there is is God. Nothing changed. From God's point of view, all God sees, sees himself. sees God. There's nothing else. The world has truly insignificant. The world is truly has no significance. Not the world is an illusion. The world is not an illusion. God is creating the world. How could the world be an illusion? But the world has no significance. It means absolutely nothing. It doesn't add anything to God. It makes absolutely no difference. It did exist. It doesn't exist. It means it doesn't add anything to God. How is it possible? The world doesn't add anything to God. How can you say that nothing changed before creation and after creation? Before there was only God. Now there's God in us. A huge difference. You and I weren't here before creation. Now we are. The table is here. We're here. How can you say that nothing changed? How can you say that God is alone God is yachid, he's exclusive, he's alone, he's an absolutely one, exclusive, no one else, And we're here. How do you make sense of that? So that, that's what he's going to explain now. The same is true
0: now. The same is true now. He is one alone, without any change whatever. For in relation to him, the very existence of all created beings is utterly nullified so that from his perspective, as it were, everything remains just as it was prior to creation.
1: He's going to give the analogy of human speech. Just like human speech. When do the words and letters emerge? As we learned earlier in chapter 21, when do the words, in chapter 20, 21, when do the words and letters emerge? When you start thinking about it. But when you go to the source of speech, the pure desire, the love, or the intellect, there are no words. A person doesn't love in French or in English or in Russian or in Hebrew. And when you comprehend something, the raw comprehension transcends language and culture altogether. There are no words there. It's pure. Words don't add anything. Words don't mean anything there. It doesn't mean anything. The, to the raw intellect, to the raw emotion, words, words completely insignificant. Words don't add a thing. It doesn't matter. It's only when you start thinking about it, how am I going to communicate this? I have to put it into words. So now you have to convey your emotion. You have to convey your raw emotion. You have to convey your raw intellect into words, into language. So now you come up with words. And where are these words coming from? They're coming from you. These words are your words. They're coming from you. But these words don't mean anything to you. Don't add anything to to the source, to your soul, to your emotional ability in your soul and to your intellectual capacity of your soul. Words are completely insignificant. The words don't exist there. They're in a state of nonexistence. They're there. Obviously, they emanate from you. They come from you. You have an idea and you put it into words. You have an emotion and you put it into words. You find words to describe and to convey the emotion, to communicate the emotion. You find words to convey the idea and to communicate the idea. So the words were there. But the words are there, but they're not there. They're there, but they're in a state of non-being and non-existence because all there is is the source. It means nothing. And to the source, words don't add anything. It makes absolutely no difference. Words are to communicate to outsiders. When you start thinking about it, that's when words form. Where were those words before? You didn't even notice yourself that you had words. The words are there, but you don't even notice it because it doesn't mean anything. All there is is the source. So that's the analogy that God creates the world with His speech, with His words and letters, that the world inherently, in its source, which is in the divine energy, within God, the words are in a state of non-being and non-existence. So the world really, from God's point of view, is is completely insignificant. It doesn't add anything. It's not like before there's God, and now there's God, and there's words, and there's letters. It's like saying there's a soul, now there's a soul and words and letters. It It doesn't add anything, it doesn't mean anything. The words came from the soul, and it doesn't add anything to the soul. So it's there, but it doesn't add anything, it doesn't mean anything. So the world comes from God's words and letters. They come from within God. God's creative ability come from within God. and But they don't add any. They don't mean anything. So nothing changed. God was alone before He created the world. Even after He spoke and He brings the world into existence, we're still within the source. And within the source, there are no words. There are no letters. So the world is in a state of non-being. To us, the world appears to be very solid, very real. We feel very egotistical, very independent, split off, disconnected. But the reality is, from God's point of view, which is the absolute point of view, from God's perspective, nothing changed. God was alone before He created the world, and even now, all there is is God. All there is is the source. There is nothing other than the source. Nothing. Nothing was added. Zero. Nothing. So therefore, the world is truly insignificant. It
0: has no significance.
1: Nothing of value. Nothing of value was added. Completely insignificant. All there is is God. That's the only reality. It's the only reality and the only value. So it's only from that point of view, from God's essential point of view, from God's
0: absolute essence,
1: from that point of view, the world is truly insignificant. All there is is God. Versus from God's all-encompassing energy, or from God's energy that fills all the worlds, on those levels you can not say absolutely that the world has no significance. But from God's essential point of view, you can truly say the world has no significance. All there is is God, all there is is the source, nothing was added, nothing, it's absolutely no, no significance. God speaks, but the words and letters don't add anything. And have no inherent value and meaning. The God, God doesn't even notice the letters. Just like the person, you don't even notice the letters yourself. When you're lost in thought, you lost in in, in 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 your desire and your love. You don't even notice the letters. Then there, but you don't even notice because it, it's as if it's not there because it means nothing. It's not an illusion. The letters are there, but it's, it's as if it's not there because it doesn't mean anything. So God doesn't even notice the letters, Just like a person, you don't even notice the letters inside of you. They're there, but they don't notice it because it means nothing. It adds nothing. So, well, there's nothing to notice. All I notice is the love and the feeling and the, and the concept. So God doesn't even notice. What, what, what He doesn't notice. All He notices is Himself, the source. There's nothing else. There's nothing else to see. There's nothing else to notice. That's all there is. That's all there truly is, is God. There's nothing else. We are unified within the absolute unity of God. And that's counterintuitive. And that's Jewish faith. That is going to say, this is our inheritance. Each and every Jew born to a Jewish mother or converted halachically was born a trillionaire, inherited this faith which all the philosophies in the world, all the philosophers in the world could never come to this realization. And all the mysticisms in the world, all the mystics in the world, and all the Buddhas put together can never come to this realization. It's a gift. It's an inheritance. That's what we mean when we say a Jew, the Jewish soul. That's what we mean when we talk about Jewish faith. This is the richest gift billionaires every child of Abraham Isaac and Jacob Sarah Rebecca Rachel and Leah everyone who has the blood of Sarah Rebecca Rachel and Leah and Abraham Isaac and Jacob flowing in their veins inherits this holy thing this holy soul that just knows this truth not because we're such great mystics or philosophers or, or deeply religious or pious it's an inheritance a child a baby inherits everything a day one old child inherits everything his parents have. So we inherit this faith. We are believers, the children of believers. We inherit this faith. It's a dear, it's, a dear, it's innate, it's inherent. It's in our very core, in our very essence. That's the year, that's what makes us Jewish. But when you awaken this faith, you ignite the faith, when you realize this faith, and you bring it out to your conscious level, You can inherit a billion dollars, you can be a trillionaire, but if you don't use it, you don't know how to use it, you you could be walking around homeless and in tatters, but if you know how to utilize it, then it comes alive to you. Then you realize, you appreciate the gift that we have. What a treasure. We were born with such a treasure. To have this knowledge, to have this faith, to have this awareness that there is no other reality but God, and that we are absolutely unified within the absolute unity of God and everything in this world is absolutely unified within the absolute unity of God and to truly be able to picture this and to truly be able to feel it that it becomes a palpable reality for us it, it, it's the greatest gift you dance from joy imagine that knowledge that awareness that truth that reality that God is with us within us God is with us nothing changes that we're touching the very essence of God and we're part of the very essence of God and we're part of that absolute unity and we're unified within the absolute unity of God that's, that's the greatest the greatest gift knowing that and feeling that and living that and breathing that, that truth and expressing and living that truth that's that's the most joyous that can give a person joy inner joy, genuine joy. And, and gratefulness for this gift that we inherited, not because of anything that we've done. It has nothing to do with our effort. It's just a fact. It's a reality. Because whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, it doesn't change the reality. Just like a person, you know, the things that are deepest to us and most meaningful to us, we're completely oblivious of. Most people have no clue of the power, powerful drive and willpower that we have to live. Most people can go through their entire life and they're not even aware of it until your life is threatened. When your life is threatened and you end up in a hospital, God forbid, or suddenly it hits you like a ton of bricks. Wow, the power, the willpower to live is so powerful you didn't even realize it. Here you went living your whole life neglecting your health and, you know, not eating right and... and, and really destroying yourself, going contrary to the most deepest desire that you have inside of you to live healthy. But you know something that's most powerful doesn't mean we're aware. On the contrary, usually the more powerful it is, the less aware of we are. We're aware of superficial things. So God is reality. There is no other reality but God. It's the absolute truth. It's the absolute reality. And we are absolutely unified within that reality. And yet we we're completely oblivious of it. God, what, God, when, who, what, when, where? That doesn't make it less true on the contrary. Because it's so true and it's so real, we don't see it, we don't notice it. So imagine the pleasure, imagine the joy when suddenly you're able to shift your point of view and you're able to see it and you're able to truly picture it and you're able to really appreciate the unity of God, that God fills all the worlds and God encompasses all the worlds. And how the, how the essence of to the essence of God, the whole world is completely and significant. We are, can we are absorbed within the absolute unity of God. We're still unified within the source. We're a part of that absolute unity, and we are in a state of non being, and non existence. All there is is the source. That's our true being. That's who we are. And God is right in front of us. And imagine the joy that that knowledge gives you, the inspiration, the motivation, the, the like, totally transforms you, elevates you. 'Cause it's right here. God is right in front of you, it's right here. Not otherworldly and not in the heavenly plane and not higher levels of consciousness or have to dig deep inside of me to find it, or have to climb the mountain, or have to drag God down from heaven. God is right in front of me,
0: with his whole essence.
1: His very essence, his very core and essence, nothing changed. He is alone, he's here. Here, time and space in front of me, in front of everything and everyone. The very essence of God. Imagine you are together with God, the essence of God. If you truly understood it, appreciated it, imagine the joy. What a what a merit. Like he'll say later, it's like the king is staying in your house. Imagine, Imagine the king of kings Decided to sleep over in your house tonight. <laughs> Imagine the joy the King is staying with me, the lowliest of all creatures, he's staying in my home. <laughs> I mean, he's choosing to stay with me, and, and that's that's the truth. Hashem is here, right in front of us, with us. So when you realize that, it changes your life forever, and therefore life becomes joyful. That's why while everyone else is singing, is like singing past, past the, uh, the gravesite, you know, degrading this world, we're born in sin, and, and the ultimate purpose is the afterlife, and this world is just a, uh, we're just passing through, and this world is miserable, and it's going to heaven, the Jew looks at this world the Jew says this is where the essence of God is found this is where God's dwelling place is this is where you can come face to face with the essence of God only in this world this is the most joyful of all the ones the Jew is the most joyful the most joyful people on the face of the world most hopeful optimistic and we look at this world as the most sacred of all the ones. we look at this world as the most precious this is where you can meet God face to face only here not in the heavens, not in the heavens of the heavens, but only in this world. You come face to face with the essence of God. So looking at life is miserable. Life is joyful. Life is a pleasure. Life is joyful. What a pleasure. What a treat. What a joy. Every day should be. You should engage that day with tremendous joy. What an opportunity. God is right here with me. What are, I don't need anything else. I don't need heaven. Heaven of heaven when I have God. Who cares about heaven? Who cares about heaven of heaven when you have the essence of God with you right here? Now. Here and now. You don't have to climb any mountains. You don't have to drag God down from heaven. The essence of God is right here with you. Here and now. This immediate right here if you you approach life as tremendous truth okay. to be continued